0: We're looking at the last judge today, but not the last of the book of Judges. The last section of the book of Judges, which Graeme is going to preach on in a couple of uh, three weeks, I think, um, <clears throat> details the complete collapse of faithfulness to God and the terrible consequences of that failure. But we're looking at Samson. In our imaginations, Samson is almost like a superhero, right? His, uh, <coughs> his immense strength is his defining feature. You know this story, Samson and the Lion. Um, but Samson was not supposed to be just a strong man. He God actually called him from the womb to be a Nazarite. A Nazarite is a person who's dedicated themselves to a special service to god they show this by not touching people uh sorry by not touching grapes or alcohol so they're really cautious about alcohol to the point where they don't even touch grapes in case they've got a little bit fermented um, they don't cut their hair including their beards so that's not a very accurate portrayal of samson unless he's a kid uh, and they're not and they don't touch dead people even their own relatives So they couldn't actually participate in their own relative's funeral. (coughs) And they do all of this on top of a very strict observance of the rest of the law of Moses, which already has lots of things that you shouldn't touch or eat. The other famous man who uh, seemed to follow this path, the path of a Nazarite, is, of course, John the Baptist. He's the scruffy-looking one over there. Crazy John. It's hard to imagine, as they call him in The Chosen, in case anyone's wondering why I said that. Um, It's hard to imagine two more different men than the sensual, self-indulgent Samson, whose only faithfulness was in the fact that he didn't cut his hair, and the ascetic, spiritual John who was faithful in every way. Today we're going to look at one incident from Samson's life, there's lots of them, But I think this one illustrates the way Samson lived his whole life and the way that God dealt with that. And it's the story of Samson's wedding. Just a tiny bit of context. The oppressors of Israel, remember that the judges always were there to deliver Israel from a particular group of oppressors. And the oppressors at this time were the Philistines. Samson's job as a judge or deliverer was obviously to defeat these people. Keep that in mind as we read this passage. Because you'll notice that Samson doesn't really do that. So it's Judges chapter 14. One day, Samson went to Timnah, which is in Philistia, where he saw a Philistine woman. When he got back home, he told his parents, I saw a Philistine woman in Timnah, and I want to marry her. Get her for me. (laughs) i got the go. His parents answered, Well, there are a lot of women in our clan, and even more in the rest of Israel. Those Philistines are pagans. Why would you want to marry one of those women? She looks good to me, Samson answered. Get her for me. At that time, the Philistines were in control of Israel and the Lord wanted to stir up trouble for them. That's why he made Samson desire that woman. As Samson and his parents reached the vineyards near Timnah, a fierce young lion suddenly roared and attacked Samson. But the Lord's spirit took control of Samson and with his bare hands he tore the lion apart as though it had been a young goat, which is what you do with young goats, right? His parents didn't know what he had done, and he didn't tell them. When they got to Timnah, Samson talked to the woman, and he was sure that she was the one for him. Later, see, Samson subscribed to the, you know, the one woman destined for you sort of attitude. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering. Later, Samson returned to Timnah for the wedding. And when he came near the place where the lion had attacked, he left the road to see what was left of the lion. He was surprised to see that bees were living in the lion's skeleton and they had made some honey. He scooped out the honey in his hands and ate some of it as he walked along. When he got back to his parents, he gave them some of the honey. And they ate it too, but he didn't tell them he had found the honey in the skeleton of a lion. And I don't talk about this in the sermon, so I'll just tell you why that's noted. It's because dead bodies uh, of unclean animals were not to be touched, and things that touch those dead bodies you shouldn't be touching. So Samson was violating the law of Israel and getting his parents... To have violated as well. Not a good guy. While Samson's father went to make the final arrangements with the bride and her family, Samson threw a big party, as grooms usually did. When the Philistines saw what Samson was like, they told 30 of their young men to stay with him at the party. Samson told the 30 young men, This party will last for seven days. Let's make a bet. I'll tell you a riddle, and if you can tell me the right answer before the party's over, I'll give each one of you a shirt and a full change of clothing. But if you can't tell me the answer, then each of you will have to give me a shirt and a full change of clothing. It's a bet, the Philistine said. Tell us the riddle. Samson said, Once so strong and mighty, now so sweet and tasty. Three days went by, and the Philistines' young men had not come up with the right answer. Finally, on the seventh day of the party, they went to Samson's bride and said, You had better trick your husband into telling you the answer to his riddle. Have you invited us here just to rob us? If you don't find out the answer, we will burn you and your family to death. Samson's bride went to him and started crying in his arms. You must really hate me, she sobbed. If you loved me at all, you would have told me the answer to your riddle. But I haven't even told my parents the answer, Samson replied. Why should I tell you? For the entire seven days of the party, she had been whining and trying to get the answer from him. But that seventh day, she put so much pressure on Samson that he finally gave in and told her the answer. She went straight to the young men and told them. Before sunset that day, the men of the town went to Samson with this answer. A lion is the strongest. Honey is the sweetest. Samson replied, This answer you have given me doubtless came from my bride-to-be. Then the Lord's Spirit took control of Samson. He went to Ashkelon, which is also in Philistia, so it's full of Philistines, where he killed 30 men and took their clothing. Samson then gave it to the 30 young men at Timnah and stormed back home to his own family the father of the bride, had Samson's wife marry one of the 30 young men that had been at Samson's party. Thus ends a very happy wedding story. (laughs) Wait, (coughs) she hadn't really married him yet? Oh no, she had married him. Like, it was seven days, the whole wedding party and everything, but obviously the the Philistine thought that Samson had basically divorced her by, by storming off. Perhaps annulled the marriage because maybe they hadn't had a chance to consummate it. So the passage, this, this passage, uh, tells of Samson's marriage to a Philistine, right? And I think the Bible's account here presents three perspectives on this. So let's work through these one by one. The first perspective is Samson's. And yes, that's Samson killing a whole bunch of Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. He does that later. He manages a thousand Philistines at that stage. Samson's perspective is very simple. Samson sees a pretty woman. Samson wants the pretty woman. Samson demands the pretty woman. End of story. The author of Judges presents this direct connection from Samson's eyes... To his desires, I won't gesture. gesture well, anyway, um, to the um, to his actions in demanding what he wants from his parents. It's almost as if Samson is the prototypical brainless strongman, right? Just a complete like no no thought there, just desire. To show just how, shortle- how thoughtless Samson is, let's look at the second perspective. The second perspective is Samson's parents. And uh, it also represents God's perspective to a lesser extent. This is uh, a picture of um, the angel telling Samson's parents that Samson's going to be born and all about how he's going to be uh, used by God for the delivery of Israel. Now Samson's parents know that God's people are supposed to keep themselves to themselves, right? They know that God's command not to mix with the people of the land is because mixing leads to spiritual corruption. And so they sort of protest Samson's demand, but they don't they don't protest very strongly. And then they just go along with Samson, perhaps because he's a bully. We don't really know. But there's more going on behind the scenes than just uh, the parents' desires or Samson's desires, which the author of Judges reveals in the next sentence. You see, God has a plan for his people, Israel. God knows Samson's weaknesses. He He knew what Samson was going to be like before he was born. He knows his desires. He knows that Samson will go wherever his desires point him. It's pretty straightforward with Samson. And so God fits that into his plan for Israel. This is the theme of Samson's life. God's purposes are fulfilled through Samson despite Samson's refusal to even seek God, to even listen to him. Let's list the way that Samson serves God's purposes despite himself. First, as we read in this passage, to pay off his lost bet, Samson kills 30 Philistines. Score 30 for God. Then to take revenge for his wife being given to someone else, which we saw at the end of the passage... Samson burns down the wheat fields and orchards of the Philistines. That's what he does with those foxes, and he sets their tails on fire. Pretty weird, but, you know. Samson's... I guess he does have an imagination. <coughs> uh, and that's obviously devastating to the Philistines, and they react by burning his wife and her family, after all. And Samson in, uh, eventually after a bit of a chase scene, kills a thousand Philistines. And then, eventually, after Samson is captured by the Philistines, he kills himself and the rulers of of all Philistia, of all five cities, by destroying the temple that they're feasting in. In all of these actions, Samson was simply letting his lusts or desires rule him. He wasn't listening to God and saying, what do you want me to do? He was just responding in anger or responding in despair or responding in, uh, in desire of some sort. And yet each time, God was working through him. You know, we often pray that God might work through us. Well, I do. And I look forward to God using me. It's a wonderful and rewarding experience to be used by God. After all, God always has good purposes. And it's great to be able to do something that you know has eternal significance, right? But for Samson, it was not so much fun to be the person through whom God works. <coughs> it doesn't look like much fun, does it? He was betrayed by women. He was enslaved by his enemies. And he only defeated them by killing himself. I don't think Samson had a particularly fun life or even a fulfilling life. Samson could not prevent God working through him, but he could and did prevent God blessing him. If we reject God's purposes in our life, if we step outside the community of faith, in our case the body of Christ, in Samson's case the assembly of the saints of Israel, we will likely experience this disappointment too. After all, God works through everything to bring about good for those who love him, but not necessarily for those who reject him. If we reject God, he won't stop working through us, but he won't be able to bless us because we'll be blocking that. In contrast, when we listen to Jesus, when we follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit, when... We read God's word and obey what we hear in that. We find ourselves both being used by God and being blessed by him. Jesus tells Peter, who's worried that God's path might be a a path free of blessing, All who have given up home or brothers and sisters or father and mother or children or land for me will be given a hundred times as much. They will also have eternal life. So this is on top of eternal life. When we cooperate with God, we find joy and peace and abundance. But God, and this is important, God is the one who gets to define (coughs) what joy and peace and abundance are, not us. So we need to really be in God's will, even to enjoy the blessings that God gives us. Now the third perspective, I know you are waiting for that third perspective going, hang on, wasn't there a third perspective? It's the Philistines. Samson's wife and the 30 young men. This is a, uh, an etching of, of all of the 30 young men looking around, sceptically glancing at Samson. It's fascinating to see how sceptical the Philistines and his wife were of Samson's motives. The Philistines wisely did not trust Samson. He was a threat and they saw him as a threat. And Samson's wife sided with her people over him. You see, Samson may have thought that his desires aligned him with the Philistines, but they never thought that way. They just saw Samson as a threat and as an enemy. And the same was true with Delilah, the famous story of Samson and Delilah. Samson may have thought that he'd found a wonderful woman, but Delilah never was under that impression. And when we try to ally ourselves to the world, when when we try to join the parts of our culture and our society that are in rebellion against God, we too will be disappointed. Like Samson, we are a threat to them. We may not feel like that, but they know that and they see us that way. We can never really be part of the world. Jesus told his disciples this If the people of this world hate you, just remember that they hated me first. If you belong to the world, its people would love you, but you don't belong to the world. I've chosen you to leave this world behind. And that is why its people hate you. It's tempting to be part of what looks like the fun crowd. But God calls us to follow his path. Just as King David supplanted Samson and the other judges because he listened to God. So our way is a better way as we listen to God. Now, I want to leave us with this contrast. There are two ways to be part of God's great work of rescuing the world, right? <clears throat> One way is to be an unwilling part of that project, like Samson, and look where that gets us. This is Samson's final act. I'm not saying we're going to knock a temple down if, if, if we're not a Christian, <laughs> but God will use us and it won't end well for us. Or we can work under God as a willing and joyful participant, taking the amazing opportunity to serve Him and be part of His glorious rescue mission, just like Peter, who's seen here healing the lame man on the gate, at the gate beautiful. to the temple, the beautiful gate. As we go out today, as we go out, let's listen to God. Let's hear what he has to say for us today and each day. We, we can be heroes. <coughs> Not soups like Samson, perhaps, but people who truly make the world a better place. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have sent your son Jesus Thank you that he died in our place so that we can be part of your family and your work. We're grateful that you do use us as weak and as fallible as we are. Please help us to hear your call and give us the power of your Holy Spirit to obey you and serve you and to change the world. In Jesus' name, Amen.